welcome to Growth on the Rocks with your host, Desiree Simone, the podcast where we talk about life, love, and living. So grab yourself your favorite cocktail and let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode of Growth on the Rocks. We're ending out the month of love and we've had some pretty amazing guests on the podcast talking about some really great topics. But I think it's only appropriate because you guys know my love for audiobooks. You love my, you know my love for erotic audiobooks. You know I love a good romance audiobook. So I think it's only appropriate that we bring up Amazon's top 50 best-selling author. And she focusing focuses on small town and second chance romance. And I'm super thrilled to have her on because I'm going to actually have her dissect one of my favorite books and ask a million questions. But ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause to the lovely and gorgeous Miss Alec Ashley Munoz. Ashley, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. I was like, we were practicing making sure I didn't mess up Ashley Munoz's last name with the last, <laughs> the little bit of Spanish that I had. So please tell your husband, I'm so sorry. In fact, if I did do that, um, we will totally edit. So it sounds more Latin appropriate, but Ashley, how are you doing? First of all, thank you for braving the weather we were going to do this and Ashley was braving a horrible storm and I said we will happily reschedule so (laughs) how is the weather how are you doing um so good I'm actually in Oregon for those who don't know so Oregon United States I don't know how big of an audience this is but um it was a bad bad storm the ice storm that and much like the whole you know country it was kind of covered in ice but we're doing so much better now. It's been in like the 50s and 60s. So oh, lot gosh. <laughs> and for a lot of us, 50 and 60s is like a big deal. Like it's so lovely. Right. It um, is. I saw a couple of your Instagram stories and it was just feet of snow. Yeah, it was bad. And then it was, ice was just everywhere. Oh gosh. Like that movie Day After Tomorrow, that was just like, like things had like frozen it like it was just wild it was wild so yeah we're glad to have that behind us that sounds terrifying I can't even imagine having to do that and then you also have young ones too like were you trying to keep them occupied or were they just like it's snow no we absolutely had cabin fever because it was so cold it was like sub-zero degree temperatures it was freezing my kids still ventured outside. Um, and of course I was so like panicked and worried and I'm like, is this allowed? I don't know. But, um, we definitely hit cabin fever for a couple of days. It was, it was rough, but we made it through. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I don't know how you did it. I mean, you, you definitely made it look somewhat luxurious with like, oh, it's beautiful and snowy, but I can definitely see how the cabin fever probably like came about. So, But outside of having to endure the storm, you've got a lot going on. And so by the time that we've released this episode, you have a brand new book that is the second in a series that's coming out where we belong. So we're going to talk a little, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this second book that's in the Stone Rider series. So, because I'm sure everybody is going to be, they're already pre-ordering it, but Mm. the book at this point, by the time this podcast airs, is already out. So tell me a little bit about the second book in the series. Yeah. So this, this book I'm really excited for, and I think a lot of people are, um, mostly because in the first book you get to meet this, these characters, um, Killian, who is the vice president of this motorcycle club. And he's so broody and kind of mean and behind the scenes, there's some stuff going on with, um, the main character's best friend. And you don't really know, like it's all very hidden. You know that there's some animosity, you know there's some stuff, but I think that the questions that people have from book one, they're just really excited to see revealed in book two. So I'm really, I'm really excited for for all of that to come out. So and I've seen a lot of the content that you've been posting related to this, and you've been giving us a lot of similarities to Sons of Anarchy, which yeah. I fell in love with Sons of Anarchy <laughs> after one episode and then binged the whole series. So did you take a lot of big inspiration from that series? Honestly, no. Um, it's so funny because I would have never drawn the similarities myself. Um, as soon as people were done reading where we started, book one, I was getting comments left and right that this was Sons of Anarchy, like, 
per, like, but like, set, you know, second chance romance, like with a HEA, like it was like everything they wanted. And I myself was like, really? I was just really surprised because typical motorcycle club romance is a little darker than what I write. Um, it's a lot more in depth with the club um, dynamics where in my books, I skim those things. I don't dive super deep, um, mostly because I want to keep that that kind of small town feel in the book versus just like the motorcycle, like gritty, dark. I I kind of veered away from that. Um, so I was really surprised when readers were saying this is Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> um, I think I watched a couple of episodes in the background while I was editing, not while I was writing, while I was editing um, but just truth be told, I do love Sons of, Sons of Anarchy, but there was a lot of, um, because, you know, some motorcycle clubs obviously like tend to be, uh, very like racist and bigotry and stuff. And I, I struggle watching stuff that has it in there. And there was a really, really big, like, you know, thing regarding like Hispanics and that sort of thing. And like, that's m my whole, like, family and so I don't know I, just, I actually struggled a little bit with watching Sons of Anarchy um so I was really sh just shocked that everyone was like oh this is a but I love the vibes I will say I love the show in the sense that like family and loyalty and those things and the plot was is tremendous but I was I was a little surprised <laughs> I'm more of a Gilmore Girls like kind of feel good person <laughs> I think the reason why there's such a connection obviously outside of the motorcycle club is it's like you said that family connection for those of us who absolutely love Sons of Anarchy. What we love about those characters is that protect the family, protect the yeah. club, protect the club's name and reputation. And then every woman wants that man who was like, yeah. I will burn down this town and for everything <laughs> in it for you and our children and our family and our happiness. And so it's beautiful how you're saying that it's not as dark as Sons of Anarchy. So it's like, we are going to get that happy ending that you referred to before, where your books are going to give us the whole, think of Sons of Anarchy, but in a happier Gilmore Girls setting where all the characters yeah. have that beautiful development and it's not so dark and gritty. And and you're right, there there is a lot of bigotry. There's some misogyny that happens in the TV series. So it's going to be obviously very different looking at the book. So before we really go deep into the books, let's, I'd love to know a little bit more about you because did like five-year-old Ashley know that she'd be a writer one day? What's your background and how did we get to here? Um, yeah, so no, I, I, I remember when I did start writing, um, being a writer was never on my radar ever. Like that was not my thing. However, um, I'll never forget when my mom got with my stepdad, he had a computer, like one of those really old, like the, the words were yellow on the yeah. black computer. And he had like one of those printers right next to it that had like the serrated edges. And I remember I would just like go to town and I was like writing a whole story when I was like, I think 10 years old, I was just like sitting there just like, yep, I'm doing it. You know? And I loved getting to print page after page. Um, and so I remember that. And then my dad um, was a really big part. I would see him in the summer. And my dad was very, um, he didn't have TV. My dad was like, go play outside. And that's what we did like all summer. And he would play with us. So I remember being really bored. And my dad went to the store and bought me this journal. And he said, well, why don't you start writing? And he got me this pen with an eraser on it. And I remember I wrote, I filled that whole journal up and like, two weeks I was just writing everything I could think of and I never thought that one day I'd be a writer I just remember it being very cathartic for me to express sorry sorry forgot to tell one of my kids is homesick today you're fine this Am is I how you know this is how you know it's real life and it's a woman yeah. who's like I'm a writer and I'm a mom and I'm literally doing both right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's she's homesick today. So I'm like, ah, she's my my middle schooler, but she she didn't realize. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was just very cathartic for me. Um, as far as how I got here, kind of fast forward quite a few years. Um, I had had my for my fourth kid. I gave birth to my fourth kiddo. Um, and I was home and I was very bored. 
And at the time I was reading a lot of romance. And I remember looking in the back of one of the books and seeing that they had done it themselves. They had independently published it. And it was like this light bulb went off. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Indie publishing is like, it was really very, like, I just kind of like clicked. And this was back in like 20... 2017 so kind of kind of closer to the because 2015 is really when indie publishing sort of started picking up um and it just really was like a light bulb moment for me and I went to town and started writing this book which was Glimmer my very first book and I would write it on my phone in my google docs as I would nurse my son as I would burp him and stay up late for late night feedings and before I knew what I had like an entire book written on my phone. <laughs> so I published out like as a dare to myself, like just like what would happen? What would happen if you published? Let's just see, you know? And that's the that's my origin story. <laughs> and to think you're doing this and being a mom and nursing, like you said, I'm I'm literally writing this on my phone in my Google Docs and taking care of my child. Like the superpower that you would need to be able to do, like, that's amazing. So, so you purchase Glimmer and you go ahead and you're like, okay, now I have my very first book under my belt. How did that feel? Like that moment that you were like, it is done. It was amazing. It was amazing. It felt good. It felt like, it felt like having another kid. (laughs) It really did. It felt like this magical little piece of me that I created with my own brain and everything. And I just, I was, I was so proud and excited and it's, it just felt really good. And so after you self-published, did you then decide, okay, I'm going to do this for a little bit on my own? Or were you like, you know what, I did this, like, I'm ready to find a publisher and now go this route. Um, I had been watching a lot of, um, like I decided to kind of dive into things. Um, and so I was reading a lot of how-to video or like blogs at the time. Those were still really big. <laughs> I feel like those have mostly gone away now. But they, there were- they, the blogs have transitioned into YouTube, which has transitioned yeah. into TikTok basically. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was like, there was a blog. And so I was reading like blog after blog after blog. And I remember, um, Kennedy Ryan had put out um, an article about her story and how it took her about five years to really start seeing like, you know, progress and profit. And like it kind of she just had to dig in for five years and go hard. And at the time, she was probably my favorite author at the time. I was like, I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, (laughs) fangirl down not that I met her I've never met her but at the time she was just like the person that I was looking at and so at that moment I was like I'm gonna dig in I'm just gonna dig my heels in and I'm gonna try this on my own like traditional publishing hadn't even been a thought on my nowhere (laughs) it was just like nope I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna try it for five years and see what happens and here's what I want to know when you're doing this and at the same time, your wife and her mom, what was your day to day like? Like, how are you getting through the day where you've got this passion project that you love and then you still are trying to balance your your home life? How is that for you in the early stages? You know, I wish I had my old Instagram. I lost my Instagram in 2021, I think, or 2022. Um, it was completely deleted. But in the early days, I had posted all these photos of what it was like, like day to day. And it was so many photos of like my son in my arms asleep. Um, It was carpool lanes, picking up my kids with like my laptop out. It was, you know, making dinner while I had um, like a YouTube video on my laptop playing about, (laughs) it was just a lot of, I did a lot of work. I did a lot of research. I did, I mean, I didn't have like a lot of, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have author friends. I didn't have, I didn't start as a blogger or a reader. I just started fresh, cold, you know? And um, so a lot of it was just trying to be present for my kids. But then when I found little pockets of time for this, I dove in. And one of the things I talk a lot about, especially with what I do as a personal development coach is 
is like you said, finding those pockets of time, finding the time that if this is something that you're passionate about, which obviously you were, you make it happen. But mm-hmm. I do work with a lot of moms um, who are wanting to start that second business. Um, just recorded an episode earlier today with a mom who's also a realtor. And I know one of the biggest issues that they have is how do I find the time? But I I think what I love and what I'm hearing from you is if it's something that you're passionate about, you will just find these little pockets. And like you said, in the carpool lane or while you're cooking dinner, like you just make it work. When you first did Glimmer, did you ever imagine you'd be where you are today? I did. <laughs> I nice. did. Nice. I was, I'm a very like, uh, I think uh positive thinker in the sense that if I do this right and I follow these steps, I will be successful. Um, and every single year, now that's not to say that I haven't had moments of doubt. I haven't had moments of of tears and frustration and and devastation. Those things have happened, but in the very beginning, I had set out to be successful. And that was my, that was my vision. And I was like, that's it. That right there is what I want. And I will get it, whatever it takes. And so in the very beginning, yeah, I I was fully, completely convinced that it would happen. And I don't know why I just, I was like, yep, let's do this. Let's, let's get it done. And um, yeah, it was a weird, I think it might be a familial thing. My brother is very similar and he is the CEO of several like very, very, very established companies. And so I think we're both just very like our family is kind of like that. We think forward and we think very positive. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, obviously positive thinking is a huge thing that I definitely promote, but I think it's one of those things that when you have that mindset of, no, I'm I'm gonna do this, like this is this is how I'm gonna be successful. Again, you find whatever pockets of opportunity to do whatever you can to actually be successful and to see your dream to come true. So it may be familiar. It may be your just your own personal DNA. But then again, you also have the talent to back it up. And so I think that's absolutely amazing. So so I want to talk about I, I feel like I've done a good job of holding it in because <laughs> I'm just like, I just really want to talk about resisting the grump. So that's how I got to first know you. Um, shout out to the good folks at Libro. They allow a lot of influencers and people with book Instagram accounts to get a chance to um, listen or read. I'm a big audiobook girl. And yes, audiobooks still count as reading. Let's not go down this road. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I swear, TikTok is having a field day with that. And I'm like, it still counts as reading. Oh, Stop it. That is 100%. Stop it. it totally does. Um, but Resisting the Grump is how I came across you as an author. Um, it's part of the Mount Macon series. And that whole small town feel, first of all, I never thought I wanted to live in a mountain town until <laughs> I read this book. I was like, this just sounds so lovely and inviting. Yeah. I am a city girl. I yeah. made traffic in high rise. But the way you wrote it, it sounded it sounded so cozy. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a place I feel like I have been to in my life, knowing full well I never have. But it sounded like I I know this place. Like I have been somewhere close to this place where definitely everyone in the town knows each other. They all look out for each other. There is the family diner that you definitely know and you patronize as often as possible. You've got the college games or the high school games, whatever it is. But the way you wrote about the area of Mount Macon was just so lovely because it felt so warm and inviting. So that whole small town feel like you capture beautifully. But our girl Raylan, our girl mm-hmm. Ray, she's she's got this crush. She's got this crush with Davis and it's just it's beautifully written, but it's also slightly heartbreaking because it is that very typical young girl crush. So tell me a little bit about how the character came about and why you felt it was important to kind of write about that story of a girl's first crush. Yeah. So first of all, I want to give you kudos for saying Macon correctly. (laughs) Another reason. Okay. And I noticed on your website, you phonetically did it. 
But another reason why I totally gravitated towards that book is I'm from Georgia and there's a make in Georgia. And okay. I was like, I was like, how do people mispronounce that? So funny story. I'm, I lived in Georgia for a short period of my, of my life. Um, and so, and now I live in Oregon. So yeah, that's, so it's a fictional town. First of all, everyone needs to know you cannot actually go to Macon, Oregon. Um, it's made up, <laughs> but I will say it's been, it was inspired by where I live. Um, and then also Mount Hood and Oregon and Levensworth, Washington. I kind of combine those two towns. Um, for reference. So here, it's weird how I come up with story ideas. Um, a, a huge part of Ray was inspired by me because I was such an awkward girl. Like I just, I was so shy and I just always assumed, you know, I don't know. I assumed a lot of really, t- as a, I'm a positive thinker now, but I, as a teenager and young, young person, I, was not a positive thinker. I thought everyone didn't like me. I thought I was so ugly and such an ugly duckling. Um, and I remember having larger than life crushes on, and I, I had two older brothers who are really close in age to me. I do still have them. I don't know why I said I had, but um, <laughs> they're friends. You know, I always had crushes on like their friends and stuff. And I remember being in the house and trying to like get their attention and like just being so devastated by the fact that they would never see me as anything. So I had this idea of a girl working in a diner and seeing, but like her family diner, you know, so she's younger, but having to see this guy come in every day and like wanting to get his attention, wanting to just have him look at her, have him see her. But obviously it's like an inappropriate crush, right? Like he's never going to look at you because you're a teenager. Exactly. Right? So like <laughs> teenagers, we don't like, I remember being in love with the Backstreet Boys and like, I literally convinced myself that was it Nick Carter? He was, it was the one probably who- Nick. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I was like, I completely convinced myself that at some point in my life, I would meet Nick Carter and we would fall in love. Like because I think that's I was, what happens, right? Like I think I was 12, but like I had like completely convinced myself. And I think it's that like impossible hope of like, <laughs> anyway, so I had this idea to write about this awkward girl and the secondhand embarrassment. And I've had people DNF this book because the secondhand embarrassment was too much. Really? Yeah. Like they were like, I can't do it. Like I can't picture a girl standing in front of a guy who's five years older than her, who's just like, look at me. Like I, you know, I like you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And honestly, that's, that's one of the reasons why I kept being so in love with this book and why I kept listening to it. It was the opposite of someone who's like, yeah, there's no, I can finish this. No, I just like barreled through it because I, I was her. I was that girl who had, I had, the most insane crush on our high school football coach. What, what, what are, what are you doing? Like I was, I, I knew the type of coffee he liked. So I would bring him some coffee and I'd always be like, you know, you had a great game today. And yeah. I was also just like awkward. And again, kind of like you, I assumed everyone hated me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is, but one of the things that I, I really saw in Ray and one of the things that I wanted to do outside of just like hugging her and telling her that it's okay is that we have these crushes, especially as women, where it's in her entire world. It yeah. is all consuming. And Ray's whole world mm-hmm. was Davis. So much so that she graduates from school, goes to New York and is miserable in New York, but she goes there because she's like, I can't, I can't be home. Yeah, I, I I can't be at home right now. So one of the things I I did love is like you mentioned, you did give them a happy ending. Yeah, which is which is so lovely. So how did you come about with that? Because I'm sure you probably you know did you toy with the idea of saying like I'm gonna have her outgrow it and be strong and independent on her own, or were you like no, let's actually let's get it where the girl actually gets the guy. Yeah, from the beginning it was gonna be we're gonna have her get the guy. Because I that was my heart. My heart was, 
you know, we see these impossible things as young people, these impossible crushes or these impossible scenarios. Um, I always love that story of Jason Momoa and um, what was her name? Lisa? Oh, Lisa Bonet. Yeah. I love that story. He would yeah. watch her on, on Cosby show and he was in love with her. And he he's was like, like, that's my wife. That's my wife. He grew up and he was like, I'm going to marry her. It does happen. It can happen. And so I love this idea of like, give her a couple of years to grow up. Mm-hmm. Let's just give her a couple of years to bloom into a woman. And so she has that opportunity and she comes back and she's so mad at him, you know? And I just, I love this idea of now making him be the one that's like, oh, like I want her, you know, and he can't remember who she used to be. And I just love like the idea of the tension and the banter and trying to discover how there's that connection and why she's so angry with him. So yeah, definitely from the beginning, it was going to be that. And I love that, that, that kind of come around where really now Davis is the one with the, the crush and doesn't know how to maneuver the relationship with her. That was so lovely. I'm not going to go too much into detail about it because I definitely want people to read it. You're going to love it. It's so good. Um, And now I have to read the other ones in the Mount Macon series because I was just already so in love with Resisting the Grump. But one of the things I would like to talk about is obviously the emergence of book talk and book Instagram accounts, which I'm assuming as a writer is just so great for you because Mm -hmm. now you have all these fans who are going to social media and using their platforms to really push out all of the amazing work that you do. Do you find, because I feel like book talk, I feel like more so than Instagram has its moments where it's just like, we are really bringing this author up and then just as quickly can crush an author or a book. Do you find it to be kind of like the wild, wild west of social media where it can just change and grow at any moment in time a hundred percent it absolutely and that's the perfect metaphor it's like the wild wild west it's I have found though that there's a safety for authors especially and I don't know if you have a lot of um people who are listening who are spot like you said you're who are aspiring to to write and publish and here's a couple of things I have learned with the bookstagram and the book talk leave reader spaces to readers don't get involved and if someone I've had of a couple author friends you know and we get together for events at those times we can vent to each other about painful experiences or whatever happened but there's so much good advice given to I have a friend who is a best-selling author she hits number one in the Amazon store every time she releases and she talked about how because she's so popular she gets to see the good and the bad side of of these things and she does get tagged a lot in horrible reviews and I asked how she dealt with it and she said I just say thank you for reading thank you for reading because really that's our job we we promote we put out a product and as readers are gonna love it or hate it that's not my that's not my thing it's not my monkey not my circus like that whole thing (laughs) And it's really just embracing this idea that reader spaces are for readers. Even if they're talking about my book, even if they're dragging it through the mud, that's for them. That's, I have to let it go. I put it out there in the world and it has helped so much. It has helped me because I can just scroll. I don't really let it hit me too much. Every now and then I'll read a negative review just to get some like perspective possibly but most of the time, no, I don't do it. I won't read the negative stuff. I, If I see someone's tagged me, um, I'll kind of scroll through their post for a minute to kind of see what I, you know, kind of like look and see. And if I think it's going to be mean or I'll look at the comments, I'll just skip it. I'll skip it and be like, you know, if I have a stiff drink, maybe I'll go through and face it. But it's great. I love it. Most of my interactions with readers have been good like almost like 98% honestly. Um, I have had very, very few instances where I've had mean encounters or distaste. Like I just hasn't, I haven't encountered it a ton. So I guess I'm lucky. (laughs) Would you ever think that there's a time that you would step in and say, okay, I have to, I have to kind of clarify some things here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
for starters, if someone took, um, I mean, because the world is always changing, right? Something someone wrote six years ago with the culture that shifted could now be like, hey, this isn't appropriate. We don't accept it. So as things shift and move, if somebody brings my stuff out and they're like, hey, I was so offended by this and it's representative of a group that I did somehow um, offend, I would 100% address that. I would change it. I would do whatever needed to be done. Um, You know, I do struggle too because I am a white author. And so I have to be very careful with writing in spaces that I don't necessarily have the perspective to write. Um, And I want to be very careful with that because I always want to include diversity in my books. But there was a point in time where that became less and less simply because the culture shifted a great deal where they were saying white voices need to step out of this area. And I wanted to respect that. And so I've been a lot more careful with how much diversity I put in. And it kind of is hard for me because I'm like, oh, man, I can't imagine an imaginary world without diversity, without every single person and, and color and and walk of life. But at the same time, I want to be very careful. But if it ever gets brought up, I'll address it. Um, there's also instances where people will compare. Like if someone were to bring my book and say, read this instead of this, I would address that 100% and say, no. <laughs> no we're not playing that game we don't tear other people down I don't like that it's not fun for me to experience so um yeah I don't, I don't really know I'm sure I would address it if it's something like that but I think one of the things I love especially about you know book talk is those fans who are loyal to you mm-hmm. if you're not going to address it they will yeah. I've seen fans go to bat for some authors And purely off of things that I've seen, I've gone, oh, well, I guess I'm going to be getting that book because the fan base is so insanely supportive. And I think what I do see collectively is that people are just really wanting to push out the name and the books of really, really great storytellers, you being among one of them. They're like, these are great stories. Not making that community, as I mentioned, feels like a real, and I hate that it's not a real place. So thanks for ruining that for me. (laughs) But- It feels like a real place. And so that's one of the reasons why I love the book. And so fans are going to be the ones who are going to be just as supportive. So if you don't step in, your your fans definitely will. Um, I talked a little bit about this and I feel like maybe Audible might have reposted something on Instagram. So I'd love to get your take about this. But there there is this whole our audiobooks real reading compared to actual handheld books. So let's just dive into that little busy bee of a topic. Yeah. What are what are your thoughts? I think that it's an interesting topic. I'm not sure why it's even being discussed. Um because for the for for our audiences that are vision impaired, what are you going to tell them they're not reading? Exactly. You can tell someone who doesn't have the ability of sight that they're not reading a book. No, I I think it's absolutely asinine. It's you're still listening to every word written. You're listening to every you're you're getting the story as you go. That is reading a book because reading to me is experiencing and and you get to just like watching it. Like I watched the movie. Well, you you experienced a piece of that story. Right. And so it's it may be different watching a movie. I would say is a little that's quite a bit different because it's not every word, right? It's not every single word, but you're still experiencing the story. But audio, you get every word. So <laughs> it's the same intake process, I think. Anyway. No, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, do you have much say as far as when your book goes into audiobook in that whole process of the recording process? Or are you kind of like here are narrators that I love. What is your role in that process of the book going from, you know, traditional book form into audiobook? Right now I work with audio production companies. Um, That's the only piece of my writing that is traditional. Um, The rest of it's independent. Uh, Only once in Tennessee Truths, I independently publish or paid to have narrated. I got to pick the narrators. Um, every other book has been with a production company so with quite a few of them um 
like resisting the grump, for example, they usually give me a couple of ideas, like samples. Hey, here, you know, and I'll go back and forth. <laughs> like, hey, I don't like that person. Let's find someone new. For Saving the Single Dad, which is the third book in the Mount Macon series, um, that one was rough. I don't know if people will notice the audio isn't coming out for a whole year past its initial publication date. And that was really hard because we could not nail down a, a narrator that I felt was right for the story. And so it kind of just kept stretching and stretching. Um, and I had to kind of wait on them until we finally nailed down like, hey, I've got this. And then they're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to get this out till April. So um, I've actually recently switched to a new audio production company who actually just put out uh, where we started in audio. It just went into audio yesterday. Um, and I'm really excited because that was really fast. It came out in November and now the audio is out in January. So I'm I'm excited. <laughs> oh, guess what I'm going to download. Yeah. <laughs> I I love it. And it's it's exactly like you said. And it's also very immersive. So again, going back to why I love the community that you built with Mount Macon, the audiobook allows you to sit there and really feel like you're in that community. So yeah. I, I agree with you where it's like, it's silly to sit here and think that it's not a form of reading because there's just something totally different about hearing the audio experience. And yeah. I love what you said about how um, the third book took a little bit longer to come out because it just wasn't right. There have been some books and I'm so grateful that I got them for free through like some sort of collaboration where three minutes in with the artist, I was like, I can't do this. I can't see how this character matches the tone, the voice, the the gravitas. It's not working and it just, it doesn't sit right. And it, yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking because it's like, well, now I won't be able, you know, I'm not going to listen to the story. I'm not going to finish it. I hate not finishing books. It breaks <laughs> my heart, but you're, you're absolutely right. If it doesn't fit though, it does a disservice to the writer and it does a disservice to the character. So it, it does make it a little difficult. So I thank you so much for, for validating what a lot of us already <laughs> knew. I don't even know why that is such a big thing, but for some reason, there's something in the water lately, but people have been on one about is audiobooks still reading? And I love the amount of people who are like, yes, yes, it is. It is still considered reading if all you're doing is are listening to audiobooks so the book is going to be coming out where we belong is going to be released and it has been released by the time we are having this particular episode come out what's next what's next on the horizon because this is the part that I want to get to know <laughs> yeah so um the stone writer series is actually a four book series so um after where we belong will be book three um, and then book four. So these are actually scheduled to come April and June. So the series will be complete by June. Wow. Did you, were you planning that? Did it just happen that it was going to be like April finish and then June finish? Or was that part of the natural flow of things? Or was it just like it finished a lot faster than you expected? Um, I think it's just, it, this series has come really easy to me to write. Um, It's just been very, like it flows. And I, everything I publish has been kind of, uh, is very focused down to, I don't know how to say it. It's, um, so I work with a brand manager and that's kind of helped me so much. She's incredible, but she kind of is my boss, so to speak. I don't really have a boss, but I've asked her to be my boss. <laughs> um, she helps me kind of plan series and with her help, that's kind of what we decided was be kind of more of a rapid release series um as far as after that book finishes I don't know yet I have a promise to keep to quite a few readers for my um rake forge university series the next gen I have some people who have desperately been waiting for that next gen series to come out so I'm hoping to release that um although that would be under a pen name uh, not Ashley Munoz it'll be probably under like a Munoz I don't know um, I may stay with MC small town I don't know we'll see may do something fun <laughs> I mean I'm not trying to tell you what to do Ashley but I'm thinking <laughs> small town is kind of like 
it's kind of like the thing you're you're known for like you're killing this small town it's just it's so lovely and I mean to throw a suggestion out there I do in fact live here at the beach and so I feel like a beachy vibe could be yeah kind of summertime read <laughs> yeah I mean it's fun because I actually started writing um fictional towns um after some negative feedback where people because that's one thing people get mean about if you describe their town and you don't do it justice they'll get really like protective and they're like that's my town like you can't and so I'm like okay like Tennessee Truths got me into a lot of trouble um ironically because I had a lot of people who were like yeah no Tennessee is not racist at all like why are you writing it that there is and I'm like well in the middle of the town is literally the park is shaped like the confederate flag that feels racist to me um <laughs> but there was some diehard people that were like no that is like racism is dead so don't talk about it anymore and I was like okay because in Tennessee truce the best friend is black mm -hmm. and I, I love Gemma everyone has asked for Gemma's story but I'm like no I love you but I won't write that story um especially because I wouldn't know what it's like to be a black woman in a southern town I would never know what that perspective would be like so but that book got me into a lot of trouble and so after that book I stopped writing real towns and I started writing fictional because then no one can come for me no one can be mad at me for writing a fictional town so and I love that you also you know you said this earlier you're like respectively I don't know the story of a black woman so I'm not gonna write that but I do find it very interesting, like you said, that people were coming for you about like, oh, there is no racism in Tennessee. And I'm like, as a Black woman, I yeah. would possibly beg to differ in some cases. But then again, like that's because that person's personal path and story versus what my personal path and story. And I'm a Black woman from the South. So racism isn't dead from my perspective, but from someone right. else's. It, it could very well be. And it's like you said, because of that, I don't have the space to write Jim's story because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not in that space. I don't see it. And so I thank you as a Black woman. I thank you very much for one, acknowledging that and saying that. Um, I don't think I ever have a problem with those who attempt it. I think there's a way that you could do it smart and yeah. you can do it with reverence and respect. I think you have those authors who just might be a little clueless and obviously that's not you. I think you obviously have the forethought to be like, you know what? That is not my story to tell and I'm going to back away. But you're absolutely right. I, I think about my little hometown and if someone were to write it in a certain way, I would be like, no, no, Miss Ashley, no, ma'am. That is not <laughs> right. Milledgeville, Georgia is known for more <laughs> things than just the crazy hospital, which is yeah. actually what we were known for. Um <laughs> We are a lovely small little town, but you're right. Like people are very serious yes. about their little towns. And so I think you should 100% kill it with the whole, I'm going to make this mo the small town one that does not exist, which yep. again makes me very sad that I can't go to Mount Macon, <laughs> but <laughs> I can yeah. still at least go to it in my imagination. I want to know if you could look at yourself five years from now where do you hope to be? Oof, that's a daunting question. I know, right? <laughs> I definitely, I hope to be, honestly, like my big thing is kindness and encouraging other people to get where they want to be. So in five years, I would want to be someone on a, a specific level where, I mean, being real, whenever I release, I would want my books to just hit like number one, like without effort. <laughs> just like hit number one and and I think I would want people to be to kind of look up to me like oh well, yeah Ashley Munoz but I would want that because I would want to be able to help other people get up there I'm very much that person on the hill that has her hand down like come on get up here there's enough space for everyone at the top there's enough you know there's no competition in that it's every per even another small town author they're gonna write small town completely different than I would and, and there's so there's still like people who are gonna be like, yes, give me more, give me more. I want it because no one person will ever write exactly the same way. And I think that's just so beautiful about our, our creation and everything. It's like, 
this is just how it all works. And so there's always going to be enough space for everyone. So I think I would want uh, mostly that. I mean, I'm a very content person. I'm a, I'm content with my life. I'm content with what I have. Um, but to kind of have more momentum under my belt to kind of have, I work really hard right now to get that momentum. I have to work really, really hard to hit certain things and it would be nice to just not have to work as hard. (laughs) Yeah. For it to be, be effortless. Do you see yourself coming up with another set of series where you're like, we're going to go in a totally different direction, maybe outside of small town? If I did, it would be with a pen name. Um, This name is dedicated to small town. This one will only be small town. But what I love, and this has been kind of fun for me, I don't know if other MC authors hate me for doing it. But what I love is that I can find things I enjoy writing about and reading about. Um, I love reading MC romance. I love it. I completely devour, like devour MC romance. Um, One of my favorite authors, CM Wells. Oh my gosh. But her stuff is dark and gritty. So what I love is the opportunity to kind of write these different things I love, but bring it into small town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe that'll be mafia someday. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it'll be a small town. And I bet you there will be people who be like, but wait, you can't. And I'll be like, but I did. But you but can't. I, you you can't. <laughs> you can because speaking as a young little chocolate girl from the South, there is a small town kind of version of a mafia. It is basically like you've got those two families and everyone mm-hmm. knows those families and those families go from generation to generation. And there's either land or horses or oil or whatever it is, but everyone knows you do not mess with these two families. Oh my God, Ashley, please write it. Oh my God, I'm getting so excited just right? thinking about like, it. Like, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Like that yes. was like mafia. Like, come on. <laughs> that is literally country mafia. Oh my God, Ashley, please write it. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Right? So I'm like, I'm excited at the prospect of pulling in different ideas, different genres, whatever, but making it my own. And you know, like the cover is going to scream small town. The town will be, so I'm, I'm excited at the pro, at the prospect. Um, the sky is really the limit for me. So excited. <laughs> I need a small town mafia. <laughs> I, need, I need there to be like this whole Hatfield McCoys, but make it sleek and sexy. And then yep. there's a best friend and she's black and her name is Desiree. Like you can throw that in <laughs> if you want to. It's super super cool if you do like if you don't it's fine but like just you know a random idea out there just tossing it um we're going to the end of this episode but before we end tell everyone where they can find you and also more importantly where they can purchase a book because it is now officially out yes so my books are exclusively sold on amazon um and i know there's people who love and hate that um but my books are through kindle unlimited So if you have that subscription, you can utilize it, read it for free um, or buy it. Um, My books are all less than like a cup of coffee if you get like flavors. (laughs) Nice. So for $4.99 if you decide to purchase the ebook. But so yeah, Amazon, I'm Ashley Munoz. That's my name on there. Um, And then you can find me at AshleyMunozBooks.com. That's my website. But I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I have a reader group on Facebook called Book Beauties. Come and join me and have fun. I don't know. <laughs> All of the links that Ashley mentioned will be at the bottom of the show notes of this episode. So if you just click on the show notes, no matter what way you're streaming this, you'll be able to see this. So, okay, Ashley, we have come to the end. And this is the question I love to ask all of my guests because it's growth on the rocks. We are a slightly boozy podcast, even though... We're not really drinking anything right now. It's dry, end of dry January for me. But I love to ask this question to all of my guests. So if you could have a drink with anyone, alive or dead, what are you drinking? What are you talking about? And who is it going to be? Okay. This is, this took me, uh, there's so many people, right? Like, oh, this is hard. Okay. And you heard that I'm not like a dark, I'm a good vibes girly. So this is different for me. But Edgar Allan Poe, <gasps> yes. I just have questions. And he seems like a deep soul. Like, 
I need, I just want to have a conversation. Um, and I think I'm drinking, oh, I, I love Moscow mules. Mm. So I think I'll do that. And I think I'll have Tennessee whiskey inside of it. Mm. So mm. I, I think yeah. that's, I think that's great. I, so I've been kind of like keeping a tally of some of the people's best answers to this question. I'm going to tell you right now, you're definitely top five. Um, because <laughs> as an author to want to have a drink with Edgar Allan Poe, stop it. I just love that. Like he would not be, I like talking with people who are not the same vein as me. And I just think it'd be so fun to get to kind of like, but here's the thing. He would have to be willing to talk. He mm -hmm. would have to be willing to like share. So maybe he's already drunk when he gets to the table. <laughs> so this is Edgar free. Cause I feel like if I remember correctly, because I went down this like Edgar Allan Poe rabbit hole during my angsty, I want this guy to love me phase. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so let me read some Poe, Poe and Bronte. What was I thinking? Um, but if I remember correctly, I think Poe was a big absinthe guy. So you had to catch him before the absinthe and the opium. And yeah. then you could have that conversation. But he also wrote so beautifully about his, his wife and wrote beautiful poems. I mean, it was tragic, but he wrote great poetry for love so he just pulled from such a deep place that I I just want to like know more <laughs> oh my god I would I I could absolutely I I would pick his brain because that's a man that's a really good answer <laughs> that's such a good answer oh my goodness well actually I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast you guys ask for me, you can find me on all of my socials. First, my website, Desiree-Simone.com and on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and threads. If people are even still using that at I am D Simone. If you have not already purchased where we belong, I don't know why we're having this conversation because it's out <laughs> and you need to purchase it now. And then check back with, you know, Ashley and I in two years from now when we have um, created our small town country mafia story of yep. a black oil heiress named Desiree who falls in love with this gorgeous guy named Clayton. I have a whole bunch of notes. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and shoot you an email with a couple of notes that I have, but I we're going to have, we're going to have a small town country mafia already made and I can't wait. It's going to be so amazing. Yes. Ashley, thank you so very much. It has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.